All right, so for those of you who don't know me, I get to call her my wife, and I'm so pleased to do that. Um, I hope she's pleased to call me her husband. Uh, I'm also pleased to call you my church, and it is so good to see you. It is so good that I know that many of you are joining us online, and it's just a fantastic way to start off the year. My name is Stephen. I get to serve here as one of the leaders, and towards the end of last year, I was called upon to speak at a school's honors evening. And as I was thinking about these kids and what they've been through and what probably many of their families have been through, I was saying, Lord, what do you want me to encourage them with? And so I decided to speak to them about resilience because it was amazing that after two years of tough times, here were kids that were still excelling, but just like you and just like them, I can't promise that the storm is gone. And so I was thinking, how can I encourage them with resilience? And so the little prop that I used on that evening was a cheap little 30 rand beach ball, had a little smiley face on it. And I said to them, you know what, this 30 rand beach ball can do what your motocross and your PlayStation and your Xbox cannot do. You see, when you go out onto the seas of life, whether you're in the calmness of the harbor or whether you're out there lost at sea and the waves are coming and the deep currents are coming and the storms are coming, this little 30 rand ball, because of what is inside of it, is gonna outlast all your other toys. And if you learn to live life with resilience, with the ability to bounce back and to come back from the storms and the waves of life. You will do great things. And then, of course, I had the incredible opportunity to point them towards the ultimate resilient one, the one whom we worship, Jesus Christ. Not even death could keep him down. And so similarly, I'm thinking about us as a church and us as Christians here at the south, in the south of Johannesburg, and also what's happening globally. And I'm asking myself, I know that we've been hit by wave after wave. I know that we've been hit by so many storms. I know that there are so many deep currents threatening to move me away from the direction I want to be going in. And so how can we have the kind of resilience that is going to mean that I can come back from that, that I can float back from that, that I can bounce back from that. And just like what I said to those kids on that day, what matters most is what is inside of you. And so the next question logically becomes, well, what is it that we can grow inside of us What is it that we can nurture inside of us that is going to guarantee a comeback faith, a resilient faith? Because I don't know when the next storm is coming in your life, COVID or otherwise. But I want to ensure that I'm doing everything in my power to encourage you to fill yourselves with the right stuff. And by definition, if we want to outlast and come back from all of the storms of life, we need to fill ourselves with something that is going to outlast COVID. And it is going to outlast whatever storm you might be facing. 
Now, as we come to the scriptures, there are a number of things that we could be looking at, but I really felt led to look at a very popular verse, which for many of us may even have fallen into cliche. You see, Paul is speaking to a church not unlike ours. He's speaking to them about health and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in them, good things that are there to serve the church and build the church. But he says, looking forward, the time will come when all of these things will disappear. And then he says these famous words, but these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so think about it. If you truly want to have a resilient life, you need to fill yourself and embrace the kind of qualities and virtues that are going to outlast every other storm. And as far as I'm concerned, it seems as if what Paul is saying is that faith, hope, and love takes us into eternity, outlasting all storms, all evils, and even many good things. And so what better to talk about over the course of the next three weeks, come back faith, come back hope, and come back love, so that you and I can endure well with the resilient walk of faith, all that we've been through and all that we may yet go through. And I love this idea. Here's a question that I irritate you with. And the question that I regularly ask of you, Riverside, is this. What does the world see when they look at Christians around them? And maybe we can even start applying that to ourselves. Now we know, because Jesus warned us, that even if we were Jesus himself, which we are not, we will still be rejected and we will still be misunderstood. But unfortunately, by and large, the world is not seeing that. They're seeing our hypocrisy. They're seeing our judgmentalism. They're seeing our online mania. And yet this verse is saying, listen, what needs to be most true of you, and therefore what needs to be most true of what people see in you, is a buoyant and resilient faith and a buoyant and resilient hope and a buoyant and resilient love. Now, before I move on, just give me two seconds to geek out a little bit here because when we talk about this trifecta of faith, hope, and love, this is the verse that tends to come to mind. But over the course of the last few years, I've realized that this is most certainly not the only verse that prioritizes faith, hope, and love together. Let me give you two examples. Colossians 1 verses 4 and 5. We have heard of your faith, the kind of faith that is famous. What does this look like? We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Notice what people see. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Here's another verse. 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 3. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, 
and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what these verses are clearly showing us is that what people need to see in us and what needs to motivate all we do is this trifecta of faith, hope, and love. And so for the rest of today, we're gonna be talking about the first one of those. We're gonna be talking about comeback faith. Now, very often when people like me, pastors, speak about faith in church, depending on which church you kind of grew up in, very often we're talking about the fact that we are saved by faith. So what do we mean by that? What we mean by that is I'm not saved by my good works. I'm not saved by my righteousness, my holiness, my efforts. In fact, I am saved when I realize that my efforts will not get me into heaven. And therefore, I trust the one who does have perfect life, perfect righteousness, perfect holiness. In short, I trust Jesus' life. Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, and all that that means. And when I trust Him, I am saved by faith. Faith and trust are pretty much synonymous terms. But for so many people, they leave it there. I'm saved by faith, meaning in my mind, I'm not going to the bad place. I get to go to the good place Job done, transaction completed. Now I get to live the rest of my life my way. And the scriptures say so clearly in so many different ways, listen, if it is true that you are saved by faith, you also need to live by faith. The evidence of the faith that saves you is going to be demonstrated by the faith that you live out. Not only is me coming to Jesus so that I can go to heaven, but Jesus says, like he said to his disciples, come and follow me. Learn from me. Learn my ways. Be apprenticed to me. Be my disciples Trust my words, my ways, my will. Align your life with mine. Pray that God's kingdom would come today, not just in 2,000 years' time or 200 or 20, whatever, but that today we might see more of God's kingdom in the south of Johannesburg as it is in heaven. And that requires living the life of faith. This is why the scriptures say, another popular verse, that we live by Faith, not by sight. Now, this can get really tricky because I probably admittedly live most of my life by sight because it's easy. I can see you. I was just thinking about when I was typing the sermon out, I was sitting at my desk. And so if I think about all my senses, my hands were feeling the touch of the keyboard my eyes were either looking at the screen or looking out through the window into my garden. My nose was smelling the coffee that I had on my table. My ears were hearing the sounds of the dog and the cat and the bird and the cars going outside. I could feel just the room that I was in. My heart was just wondering, is this year gonna be any better than the next? 
My mind is thinking about the message, but also some of the many things going on in the world around me. Those things through my senses, both inner and external, are easy to see and easy to focus on. And therefore, it is so easy to live by sight and not by faith. So what does it mean to live by faith? It means even when I don't see it. I can't command Jesus to walk into your room the same way that your puppy runs into your room. I can't command your heart to be so tangibly overwhelmed with the presence of God that you have no doubt that He exists. But if we're gonna live by faith, we're gonna trust that God exists. Hebrews 11 says that He created all things. I'm also gonna trust that Jesus said, I will never leave you. And therefore He is with me whether I feel it or not. And whether I see it or not, I'm gonna trust that his kingdom is at work around me. And that over time, his spirit is gonna give me a different kind of sight to begin to see glimpses of his reality and glimpses of his kingdom around us. But enter stage from stage right, 2020 and 2021. And the clobbering that it was, it can make living by faith so hard because I am a punching bag for everything that is happening to me. And yet we are going to stubbornly choose to trust God's perspective on this reality, on who Jesus is, on his presence in my life and the kingdom that he's calling me into. I love Luke chapter 17, verse five, where the disciples walk up to Jesus and they say this, they ask this question, which I really want to put before you as a prayer for you today. And they say to Jesus, increase our faith. And I'm hoping that resonates with you. Because as you think about the waves and the storms and the currents that you've experienced of the last two years, and you're just going along with this metaphor of your faith being like this ball floating along the ocean, you're like, no, my faith is not coming back. My faith is not bouncing back. I've got a pup faith and water's getting into the holes. And that's okay. And so we add our voices to the voices of these disciples and we say, therefore, increase our faith. I need a resilient faith. So Jesus, help me. And Bianca just prayed that for us as well earlier. So here's the thing. So often when we talk about faith, earlier I spoke about that we're saved by faith. But when we talk about bigger faith and increasing our faith, very often we default into the kind of thinking whereby faith is like this magic juice within me. And I need to look inwardly and somehow manufacture more magic juice faith within me so that I can have more faith. Now, the scriptures definitely do speak about less faith and greater faith. But where the greater emphasis of the scriptures is, or are, is not necessarily the size of your faith, but the size of the object of your faith. We don't just have faith, we place our faith or our trust 
in something. If I sit down on that chair, I am putting my faith in the construction of that chair. And so that's why the Bible can say, even if you have a mustard seed of faith, by taking just a mustard seed of faith and by placing it in the king of the universe, who knows what you'll see God do? Let me give you a tangible example. Imagine two friends, both living in Johannesburg, that both want to fly to Cape Town. One of them is just well-traveled, He's a businessman, and man, he gets onto planes several times a month. So no sweat, he gets on the plane. But his friend never been on a plane. And he's watched all those movies. And he's also a little bit claustrophobic, and he's afraid of heights. And so he's saying, I don't know if I want to get onto that plane. Now, absolutely, he would have demonstrated no faith if he never got on the plane, But imagine eventually he does. And he's saying, I'm so frightened and I don't have a lot of confidence, but I'm going to trust my mates. I'm going to trust this plane and I'm going to trust this pilot. And so you might say the first friend has great faith and the second friend has small faith. Which one gets to Cape Town first? It's less about the size of my faith Although that can grow, and it's more about the objects of my faith. What am I placing my trust in? Now, earlier I read a number of verses that kind of bring this trifecta of faith, hope, and love together. There are dozens of verses that bring out two of those three. And if you're just reading your Bible and you keep that awareness on in the back of your mind, you will see how many verses speak about faith and hope or hope and love and so on and so forth. Here's one of those. In the book of Colossians, Paul is speaking about how the fact that we were once alienated from God, but now he saved us. All right, that's we saved by faith. We are reconciled. And then he shoots forward to this idea that we are gonna be presented before God without blemish or accusation. So that's not the beginning of my faith. That's the end of my faith. And he says this, if if you continue in faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. So just a few things. Can you just see again, faith and hope working so well together. Secondly, can you see how this verse is describing a resilient faith, a comeback faith, a faith that stands, a faith that is unmoved. That's the kind of faith we want. Now, earlier I said, What matters most is the faith, the object of my faith. According to this verse, what is the object of my faith? What am I placing my faith in? And it is crystal clear here that I am placing my faith in the gospel. The gospel. Now again, Paul's not talking about how to get saved. He's talking about a life that has been lived resiliently. A life that has been lived faithfully bringing out all the faith potential in my life, doing all that God has called me to do and ending well. And he says, in order to live that kind of life, a comeback faith, you need to place your faith in the gospel. Not only to be saved, but to live this kind of faith. So let me illustrate what that might look like for you. 
So maybe you're worried that our national leaders around the world have lost the plot. Well, the gospel tells us that we have a king who is reigning and ruling above every power and every authority, spiritual and otherwise. Maybe you're worried about corruption and self-interest. Well, the gospel tells us that we serve that powerful king, but he surrendered himself and became your servant, even a servant unto death on a cross. Has any other power done that for you? Maybe you're worried about everything that you've lost financially and relationally in terms of your business and family and momentum. Well, the gospel reminds you that even if that is true, you are co-heirs with the very Son of God and His inheritance that He won on your behalf. Maybe you're worried about the future. The gospel reminds us Jesus is the future. Maybe you worry that people are losing faith and the church is fighting a losing battle. Last week, we were reminded that Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Maybe you're worried about death and chaos. Well, the gospel reminds us that God does his best work in the dark of night and that out of death and chaos, he brings resurrection life and power. I don't know what you're going through, but if we could sit down for five minutes, I could draw a line from where you are at to the gospel, showing how the gospel is where you need to be playing, placing the full weight of your faith. Guys, we're talking about storms and winds and currents and waves here. And so to have this kind of faith, this is the kind of thing worth fighting for. Whoopsie. Paul says to a young pastor, 1 Timothy 6 verses 12, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Later, at the end of his life, he says to the same Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In other words, I have faced down the storms and the currents and the winds and the waves, and I have fought for my faith, and it has been a resilient faith, and here I am with great confidence of how my Lord is going to receive me. And so here is my question. Are you, I understand how tough the last two years have been, but are you fighting for your faith? Notice this metaphor, fight for your faith. Paul doesn't say, oh, just, by the way, guys, you know, when, when you remember and when it's convenient, I don't want to kind of make life hard for you. Well, when it's okay with you, give your faith a bit of attention. No, fight for your faith. And so I'll ask the question again, are you fighting for your faith? And if not, why not? And I don't ask that question to shame you. I ask that question diagnostically. Here's where I'm going with that. What I'm about to say has been true over the last few decades, but it has become even more true over the last two years, and that is the degree to which people have been losing faith. Now, 
everyone's story is different. And I don't want to oversimplify a very complex and oftentimes a painful issue. But as I've thought about this and made my observations and as I've tried to read and study the stats and the interviews and just hearing people's stories, there are a number of common threads that lead to this reality of losing faith. So let me talk about them. The first one is out of sight, out of mind. And what I mean by this is, let me draw the analogy that maybe before COVID, you used to go to gym three, four, five times a week. And then lockdown happened. And you weren't allowed to go to gym. And you were depressed and you thought, I'll give myself a few weeks off because it's only going to be 21 days, right? A few months later, they said, some of you can come back to gym if, and you're like, nah, I don't know if I'm ready yet. A few months later, oh, no, no, no. If we keep to certain numbers and certain protocol, more of you can come back to gym. But by that stage, you were so out of the habits. You're like, nah, next week. And those six months became 12 months, became 18 months, and we were almost hitting 24 months. And in the same way, we're so used to some of the habits, the healthy habits of worshiping together and being together and having relationship together. And we were forced to abandon that and it very quickly became out of sight and out of mind. The second role that has caused so many people to lose faith has been relational distance. Once again, for many of us, we were so used to the joy of worshiping together being together, hearing God's word together, being in homes together, whether it be life group or just fellowship or having a meal, just enjoying each other's company. And once again, that was forced away from us. And we grieved that and we mourned that. And some of you snuck to your friends' homes, not judging you. But what started to happen over time was Okay, I know I need to start reconnecting with some of these people, but it's been six months and Zoom is hard. And on one hand, I get that. I know some of you spend eight hours a day on Zoom. And now to try and do Zoom and and do life group on Zoom was just the last thing that you felt capable of doing. And while I get that, what started to happen was we went from having relationships to grieving relationships to it being difficult to connect in relationships to eventually getting to the point where, you know what? I think I'm actually doing okay without these relationships. And we just allowed that drift to continue to happen. A third factor for so many people that has caused them to lose faith has been the problem of pain. Some of you will know the book that I wrote and I have a whole chapter about this. But the biggest issue about the problem of pain is not the intellectual issue, it's the emotional issue. Where you're crying out to God in some form or another, God, if you're so good and loving, how could you allow X to happen? How could you allow COVID to happen? How could you allow so-and-so to pass away? How could you allow me to lose my health? How could you allow me to suffer so much loss? 
And at that point, it almost doesn't matter what the intellectual discussion looks like because you're in pain and you're angry at God. And it's not going away. A fourth reason that has caused so many to feel a loss of faith has been the whole intersection of faith and culture. The last two years has shown us anything. It's shown us about how many people have tried to use our faith to win cultural battles on both the left and the right. Now, does our faith have something to say about the cultural and political things we've been going through? Absolutely. And there have been some wonderful and sane minds attempting to do exactly that. But that's not what's occupying your news feed. What is occupying your news feed is how the left and the right on both sides of all of these polarizing arguments have been using faith as their battering ram for their own cultural idols. Where I use faith to get what I really want. And so faith has been used and abused on both sides of the gender arguments, on both sides of the vaccine arguments, on both sides of the critical race theory arguments and so on and so forth. And while you feel so passionate about that, your kids and your neighbors and the world is looking on saying, if that's what faith looks like, I'm out. Because that's not faith being expressed in love, as Paul says in Galatians. That's faith being used and abused. The fifth reason is very similar to the last one, and that is simply Christian hypocrisy. One of the biggest reasons people leave the faith is Christians who profess Christ but don't profess Christ. And maybe social media and this pandemic has exposed how untransformed we truly are. Now that's before I even get into some of the intellectual challenges to our faith. And those have been true for the last few years and more. But what I'm convinced of and many people who speak into the space are convinced of is that while some of these intellectual challenges are real and worth having a real discussion over, what gives fuel and fire to the intellectual discussions are these emotional pains. And so we've seen so many people, and maybe you've seen yourself, as these doubts have risen up within you, start losing faith, and that ball is no longer feeling like it's floating on top of the waves and the wind. Now, guys, we could do months of sermons about this, but let me just give you maybe a starting point. If you're there, or maybe you know someone who's there, I wanna give you three things to think about, and the first one is this. Get honest. Get real with what is going on in your heart. Maybe something that I've said resonates with you. And you're saying, yes, Stephen, you're right. I'm angry with him. I'm angry with her. I'm angry with God. I'm disappointed with the church. I'm disappointed with culture. I'm disappointed with media. I'm disappointed with my loss. And I can't get over that. And if I'm honest, that is fueling my losing of faith. just to recognize what is true of you right now. Once again, not to shame you, but let's truly diagnose what is going on. So number one, get honest. Number two, 
starts with Jesus Christ and the gospel. If you're angry with people, don't start with people. Our faith should never have ultimately been in people. If you're angry with the church, who by the way are made up of people, once again, our faith should never ultimately be in people. If you're angry with culture or you're angry with, with loss or grief or whatever it might be, don't start there. Don't try fix that and then work back to Jesus. Start with who Jesus is. His life. His death and His resurrection. And even if your heart is feeling cold towards those things, start with something along these lines. Well, Jesus, if you truly are who you say you are, and if you have truly done what you say you've done, start there. Become convinced of those things. And then this, this third point may sound simplistic. And it's easier said than done, but it's this, be led by him. Just start with him. And once you become certain of who he is and his role and presence and love in your life, then take the next step. We can't stop there, but only then take the next step. As you trust his words, something's gonna jump out at you and you know that it is your Lord calling you to take one simple step. I don't know what that might be. And then take that step because I trust my king. And then as you grow in faith and his words and his kingdom, he's gonna lead you to take another step. And at some stage, he might ask you to walk through this pain with him. But now I already trust him in his resurrection power. You know, there's a song that we sing here in church. And we sing it. And we raise our hands. And we clap our hands when the song is finished. You might recognize these words. You call me out upon the waters. The great unknown, haven't we just been through that? <laughs> Where feet may fail, and there, at the point of walking through the unknown, at the point of feeling and experiencing my failure, there, at that point, I find you in this mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. We are still in oceans deep and your feet may feel like they're failing you, but you're praying, Lord, increase my faith. And this is where we need to start living the words of the song. Because we can't control the world around us. But we can maybe begin controlling what we put in us. And while you can't control the world around us, we take to your heart, growing and nurturing faith, hope, and love within us. Those are the things by the power of Christ and His Spirit are going to outlast whatever you're going through right now, guaranteed taking you into eternity. You know, gone is the time where people are looking to leaders for answers. 
Because if we've learned anything these last two years is that no leaders have the answers, including moi. But what the world is truly responding to are leaders and people who, while they may not have the answers, seem to have a North Star in their lives, seem to bounce back, seem to come back, seem to have something resilient within them, something beautiful, something powerful, something attractive. And that is something that we can embrace here in 2022. And so as I wrap up, and we're gonna pray in a second, I love this story with Jesus and Peter. Jesus comes up to Peter and he says, listen, Satan has asked me to let him take you out. He didn't say it that way. He said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And this is what Jesus said. But I have prayed that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back to strengthen your brothers. And so as we join Luke 17 verse five, Lord, increase our faith to this verse where Jesus is praying for you. I pray that your faith may not fail so that when you return, you may get strengthen those around you. I think that's something you need this church needs, the city needs, and this world needs. So let us pray. Father, I think most of us are resonating with this <laughs> pup ball struggling to stay afloat in the storms and seas of life. And it feels like water has truly gotten inside of us and is threatening the sinking of our faith. Lord, I thank you that doubts and challenge does not mean I do not have faith, but you are calling me to respond with wisdom and courage. Going through a period like this has the ability, Lord, to put down greater roots and greater confidence in you as I experience you in deeper and darker moments of my life. So God, would you be so gracious, so gracious, so generous with your love and grace to those who are struggling. Meet them there, Lord, as you met Peter at his place of challenge. But Lord, give us the stubborn faith to pray, Lord, increase my faith. And Lord, I thank you that as you did for Peter, you pray for us as our high priest, as our intercessor, the one who will never leave us nor forsake us, that you pray that our faith will not fail. And I pray that we would come back, that we would have an, an, a comeback faith, a resilient faith, so that we, as we are restored, may strengthen in turn those around us. Holy Spirit, sustain whatever seeds are planted here this morning. We start with you, Jesus, but lead us one step at a time. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.